If you would take a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 741. been walking through Jesus' parables in the Gospel of Luke, and I don't know if you've been challenged, but I've been, I've been challenged about what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Christ, and believing that the life he calls me to is, is better um, than any other life I could live. Luke 16, beginning in verse 1, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mary and I have the opportunity to have people over to our home um, a fair amount. And this past Monday, we had a group of younger, professional-type folks over to our house for, for dinner. And it's always interesting when someone comes to your house and there's not enough room at the table for everyone, which is where you're supposed to sit and eat. And you have to just branch out across the house. And people take their plates, and this was, this was Mexican food. You know, salsa, chips, kind of all the stuff that's, that's delicious, but not necessarily neat and tidy. And, and the question is, like, where should we go? Where should we sit? And we're like, make yourself at home. Sit inside, sit outside, sit on the couch. And I, and I always tell them, don't worry. Whatever you might spill in our house will not be the worst thing that's touched our couch. We have kids. We have three kids, and, and so whatever you do, it's not going to be a big deal. But people come in, and there's a certain amount of responsibility they feel when they walk into your house, not, not to mess up your stuff. 
you know, like on a Saturday, on a good Saturday with nothing happening, I spend a good bit of time on a couch in front of a TV watching football like you, right? And I'm eating whatever we're having. But if I came to your house and you're serving food and you're like, hey, sit on the white couch with salsa, I, I'm, I get a little nervous. I get real nervous if May is anywhere near your couch with red salsa. Because, like, your stuff, it, it's different. If I mess up my stuff, that's one thing. If I mess up your stuff, it just feels a whole lot worse. And you probably experienced this in your life at different points. Maybe you needed to borrow something from a friend. Maybe you needed to borrow a dish, or maybe you needed to borrow a tool to work out in the yard, or maybe you needed to borrow their car for some reason. And whatever happened, you damaged it. Um, do you know that, that feeling when you have to like call someone or show back up, like, here's your car? Um, it doesn't look like it did when I took it. Here's the good news. If you ever borrow my truck and you hit something, just don't tell me. I'll never know. Like, if you scratch it, it's just one of many on the side of the truck. But, but we always, we kind of understand and get the idea that, that us stewarding someone else's things, we, we want to be very careful, and we go over and above, like, be good stewards of it till we get it back to you. Jesus tells this parable, and he draws on that principle to help us think about our relationship to our stuff that God's entrusted to us for however many days he gives us on the earth. And this is one of the most interesting parables, I would say, that Jesus taught. It has that turn in the middle where everybody's kind of like walking around like, what in the world is Jesus advocating here? So it starts out, there's a rich person, and he has a manager who works for him. And the manager's job is to do what? Steward the stuff well. It's not his stuff to steward, it's, it's, it's the rich guy's stuff, and so his job is to take care of it, and the manager is not good at it. He's not good. He, he wastes it. He squanders it, some translations say. And so this is, this is the problem for humans in general, wasting stuff. We're not real good at being faithful with whatever it is that we need. I saw this firsthand. I went with uh, one of my kids on a school trip to Camp McDowell. If you've ever been to Camp McDowell, wonderful place. The dining hall is interesting. I'll just say that. And you sit around tables, and they bring out food, and you eat family style. And they talk about before you eat, they're like, all right, only get what you're going to eat. You can have as much as you want. You can have as much as you want, but just take what you're going to eat and don't waste a lot of it. And they turn it into this little game so that every table is kind of competing against other tables to waste the least amount of food that they can. And so you eat your meal, and then they collect all the stuff, and they combine it, and they weigh it, and they let you know which table was the best. But you, you know why they do this, because if you've ever eaten with children, you know that their eyes are way bigger than their stomach. And they're just like loading up their plates with all this food, and at the end, it's just wasteful. But, but you and I, we're, we're similar in a way. That we're entrusted with stuff, and our, and our tendency is often not to be good and wise and faithful stewards of it, but we, we often squander it or, or waste it. And so the rich guy calls the manager in, 
And he basically, this is the meeting at Friday, Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock. This is the one you don't want to have. You're like, why are we calling a meeting Friday at 4? Um, it's because you're not coming back on Monday, perhaps, right? So he brings him in. He's like, uh, bad news. You've not been very good at your job. Your services are no longer needed here. And the guy, in his response, he's like, what do I do? And, and I relate to this guy, if I'm being honest with you. He's like, I'm, I'm not really strong enough to dig ditches. I was on my way to work this past week on Overton. They're replacing some sidewalks there. And I just looked at this guy who was digging up a sidewalk. Uh, that does not look like a really fun job. That looks like really hard work. And this guy's like, I'm not in for that kind of work. And I'm really too proud to beg people for money. What are my options? He's like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll be dishonest. I'll cook the books. Like, I'm going to get fired anyway. What do I have to lose? So he calls the people in. How much do you owe? He's like, hey, let's cut that in half. Hey, let's take 20% off that. And his whole point, his whole goal is that when he gets the boot, he's going to be able to get out and have friends who will take care of him, correct? And, and, and the rich guy comes in, and here's the, here's the twist in the parable. Like, you and I, we're thinking that he's going to come in and just be livid, correct? We're thinking he's going to come in and just be like, what in the world? Like, this is the kind of thing that gets you arrested, Okay? And the master comes in, verse 8, and he commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And what I think the parable is trying to get us to see is that, that, the, that the rich guy comes in, and he's like, well, at least you did something useful for once. Like, at least you woke up and you weren't wasting the opportunity you had in this moment. At least, finally, you were shrewd. I'll give you an example of how I thought about it this week. I used to play church league basketball. I don't need to do that anymore, especially as your pastor. I change into a different person, you all. Or maybe just the deepest, darkest recesses of who I am actually come out in a competitive environment. And I was playing church league basketball when I was in seminary. And this one guy in particular, just I felt like he was wearing me out the whole time. Just foul after foul after foul. And there's the, the ref just kind of watching it with the whistle in his mouth. And I finally had just had enough. It's like the Chinese water tour, like which drop's going to do it? And finally I was just like, blow the whistle! <laughs> Where by which? He <laughs> blew the whistle and he said, T. Technical, right? He gave me a technical foul. Did I back down? No, I did not. <laughs> and I said, thank you. Like, at least you're doing something. <laughs> at least I know the whistle works. Right? You have a job. At least you're doing something. And I think that's kind of where the rich guy was coming from, from with, the, with the manager. Like, thank you, for, thank you for waking up to the fact that what you have before you is valuable and it matters what you do with it. And then Jesus 
I think brings it home for us, and he's helping us see a similar truth for us. And, and there's a way in which that, that when I, let's say, let's say for example, um, I could pull up my Regions account. I guess we could. I do not endorse any one bank. Let's say I pulled up, you know, my banking account, and we're like pulling through it. And I look at all of that, and I think that is, who does that belong to? Me. There's a way in which I look at that stuff, and I think this is mine. And whatever I choose to do with it is whose business? Mine. And Jesus comes in in this parable and he says, actually, if we pull up that account and we look at it, all of this actually belongs to me. And, and you are only just a steward of it for a season. And ultimately, what you do with that matters, matters to me because it's mine and not yours. And this is a real-world um, illustration for me this past week. I was kind of trying to think long-term, you know, transportation needs for the Splons and what we should do here and there and that kind of thing. And, and, and it's amazing how much the norms and values and just the things that you and I don't even think about shape how we think about decisions like that. Right? And I was sitting there and I was kind of thinking through, all right, what's the right approach? And, and I'm wrestling with this parable alongside this thought process in my mind. And I'm thinking, well, if this is the Lord's money, like, what's the most wise decision? If, metaphorically speaking, Jesus walked into the dining room table and we sat down and we hashed it out, like, what would he desire for me to do with that in order to be a good steward for the kingdom? And it starts changing how you think about stuff. Because this is one of the most private areas of, of who we are. Some of you started sweating at the thought of <laughs> the online thing being up there for everybody because it's such an intensely personal thing, is it not? And here's the deal. At the end of the day, we can hide it from each other, but, but the Lord sees past all of that, and like he already does know what I have and what I'm doing with it. And then Jesus says, people who are faithful with just a little bit of stuff can be trusted to be faithful with a lot of stuff. And people who aren't very faithful with a little bit can't be faithful with a lot. And then he says, you can't serve two masters. Either you're going to hate one and love the other one, you're going to despise one and be devoted to the other. And I think that's why, for many of us, the issues of stewarding what God's entrusted to us are so hard because we're, we're working from this, this mixed heart where we want to be faithful, we want to be free, we want to steward what God's entrusted to us for his purposes, but there's this kind of this drawing up in us where we don't know if we really believe that God's going to provide for us if we do. And ultimately that stuff has lordship over us in our lives. Which is why I think Peter, I mean, uh, Paul talks about God desiring what kind of givers ultimately? Do you remember? Cheerful and generous givers. Cheerful and generous givers. And the Pharisees were not very cheerful and generous kind of people. And Jesus comes into the world and he's like, 
ultimately, you can look religious and awesome on the outside, but God sees past all of that to your heart. And one day that kind of thing will be revealed. And the other thing that I discovered this week is I was thinking about this in my own life. And trust me, um, I truly believe that the only person ultimately that I'm accountable to in this area of life is myself and not you. Um, the Holy Spirit has to be at work in your heart. But I thought about the fact that, that as I wrestled with this this week and as I thought about stewarding stuff that isn't mine, there is this joy and this cheerfulness that comes along with stewarding things well for God's kingdom that can't be experienced in other ways. There's a real world experience to you. My last personal story, yesterday I went to Albertville, Alabama. Any of you ever been there? World-class sport facilities, I kid you not. If you ever wanna to go to Albertville and just see the most wonderful, beautiful sports complex ever, it's there, I promise you. Um, and I was up there and you, you look for places and you look for times to eat in between all this stuff. It's just scavenging for whatever's close by. And we went and we sat and we had pizza. And I got to sit with, I don't know, 10, maybe 10, 13 year old boys, right? And we're sitting there and we're eating pizza. And, and this real world application starts kind of penetrating down in your heart and you're like, how would, I, how would the Lord have me steward my finances in this moment? And you're kind of wrestling with that real world. And, and one of the things that I've discovered is that as you see everything that you have as belonging to God and not yourself, there is a joy in using it for other people. There's a joy. And, and have any of you ever given away someone else's money? Few things are more like joyful than that. You're like, hey, party's on them. You're just like cheerfully and joyfully doing it. The reality of life is that that's how God calls us to be as his people. Everything that we have that's not ours, it's his. And we believe that he's going to provide for us and he stewarded it faithfully for his kingdom purposes in the world. There is a joy to be experienced in that that you can't experience any other way. So I'm praying for you and I'm praying for me, mostly I'm praying for me, that God would help me trust him more and more that he's going to provide for my needs, that it's not up to me, and that I think about how I'm stewarding what he's entrusted to me for his kingdom ultimately. Um, not out of guilt, not out of trying to earn something from the Lord, or not trying to be good enough, but believing that as I live in the faithfulness, there is joy that I can't experience otherwise. I'd like you to pray with me. God, thank you so much for the gift of this day, and I thank you that, that you love us enough to teach us truth and to open up our hearts, to help us see the world as it really is and not as we constructed it to be in our own mind and imaginations. And we thank you that you are a God who has so graciously provided for us, and we acknowledge to you that, that so often we act like we're owners instead of managers and stewards. We waste stuff on 
things that don't matter. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to see past all of that and help us to be faithful and generous and cheerful people, trusting that, that ultimately what we leverage for your kingdom purposes matters the most. We love you. We thank you for your love for us. We offer this prayer in Christ's name.